Welcome to Move Forward Radio, a show featuring interviews with physical therapists and other healthcare experts. This program is brought to you by MoveForwardPT.com, the official consumer information website of the American Physical Therapy Association. Learn how physical therapists can help people of all ages and abilities reduce pain and improve and restore motion to achieve long-term quality of life at MoveForwardPT.com. Welcome to Move Forward Radio. I'm Jason Bellamy. On January 12, 2010, Haiti was rocked by a magnitude 7.0 earthquake. Although there's much debate about the death toll, there's no question that the devastation was vast. More than a million were made homeless, and at least 300,000 were injured. Numerous medical professionals from countries all over the world rallied to help Haiti in its time of crisis. Among them were physical therapists Denise English and Chuck Goulas, who were in Haiti at the time of the earthquake and have been back to the country since. Denise and Chuck treated injured Haitians in the immediate aftermath of the earthquake and since then have played a role in helping to further develop Haiti's healthcare system. In today's episode of Move Forward Radio, we'll hear about their experiences during and after the earthquake and get an update on Haiti's ongoing recovery. A reminder is always the input from our guests is for informational purposes only and shouldn't be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. With that, here's our interview with Denise English and Chuck Goulas. Chuck and Denise, thanks for being here. I want to start by going back to January 2010. You were both in Haiti at the time of the earthquake. Can you first tell me why you were there and what the experience of that day was like for you? Chuck, do you want to start? Sure. We were in Deschapelle, Haiti at Hospital Albert Schweitzer, and Denise and I were teaching in the Rehabilitation Technician Training Program, and it was actually the second or third day of our teaching for this year, and Denise and I had finished teaching... I had just gone home and was actually in the kitchen looking towards dinner when the earthquake occurred, and quickly I realized it was an earthquake, but most other people, most Haitians had not experienced an earthquake, so people were, you know, very shocked by the whole occurrence. Denise, how close were you to the epicenter and physically what was happening to the building? What was the level of panic in the room where you were specifically? Well, we were about 60 miles from Port-au-Prince, and the epicenter was about 20 miles outside of there. So we were removed. We definitely felt the earthquake and the aftershocks. The room, there was just, you know, slight movement. I had never experienced an earthquake before at all, so I wasn't entirely certain. But we moved out into the courtyard. People inside the hospital were fairly calm, but I do understand that outside in the market there was a lot of disruption, a lot of panic. Chuck, take me through the initial days then after the earthquake so you sort of get through the day itself. How quickly did relief efforts start and how quickly did you and Denise get involved with those? Well, immediately after the earthquake, there was a a very unnatural silence. And then after a few minutes or a few seconds maybe, there was a roar. Everyone realized what had occurred. And because the hospital is the central location, everyone tended just to migrate towards the hospital We found that all of the cell phone service was gone, so we were really cut off from everywhere. And at the beginning, we really didn't know how bad the damage was until probably a few hours later, people started to arrive at the hospital from surrounding areas. Denise and I, we stopped our class, and we were trying to help out and triage the best we could, assisting the Haitian doctors and nurses and physicians assistant with taking care of the injured people that came. Denise, what do you remember from that day, especially as people started to arrive who needed care? I think I would go back to what Chuck said about the sense of silence. 
I would have expected panic, but it was a situation where you really saw a community pull together. So there was silence, there was cooperation, there was a sense of urgency in getting people taken care of. Everyone was definitely overwhelmed in the hospital, but working together. And then what do you remember that day once people started coming in who needed care? What kind of injuries were you seeing? And what specifically roles did you take immediately to try and help the Haitian doctors who were there in terms of caring for these individuals who were rolling in, I assume, by the dozens? Yes. Actually, when we arrived at the hospital the next morning after the earthquake, the wards were filling up, the outside areas of the hospital were filling up. So every available space was covered with someone. They had multi-traumas. Rarely did anyone have only one type of injury. We were seeing open fractures, people who had had limbs crushed, head injuries, burns, wounds, severe cuts and lacerations, some spinal cord injuries, some amputees. What we did was help to identify those that may need immediate care. We helped to assist in transferring them, to help assist in positioning them. We monitored the spinal cord patients. We began to use prefab immobilizers for the fractures, but soon ran out of equipment. We started to fashion makeshift cervical traction, makeshift positioning devices. We made splints out of cardboard and duct tape, anything that needed to be done. We also, because I think of our expertise in recognizing rehabilitation patients, were able to keep a closer eye on them and to, in fact, get care for people that might not have been initially noticed. For example, one of our spinal cord patients had begun to run a temperature and was also having some significant problems, and we were able to get a doctor's attention to help with that. We also were able to identify young children that needed more immediate care For example, they had crushed limbs that if they weren't treated immediately, the long-term effect was going to be disastrous. So we were really able to advocate for people that the doctors and the nurses, in their being overwhelmed, just were not able to identify. Chuck, had you ever been through an experience like that before where the volume of injury and essentially having to improvise ways of caring for these individuals? No, I had never been. I mean, I had been through so many mock disasters in hospitals, but it was so different when it was actually happening. And as Denise said, we became very creative utilizing things like cardboard and duct tape, which would probably be unheard of here in the States. But this also was a time when most of the European and doctors that worked down at Hospital Albert Schweitzer were still on vacation for the holiday. So the Haitian doctors and nurses really stepped up to the plate and were very cooperative and very much in charge of taking care of their their country people. So it was really gratifying that the Haitians could be in charge and do such a great job taking care of everyone. That's interesting that you mentioned those disaster scenarios. How was it different? Was there anything that you had learned through those situations that helped you, or can you really never fully prepare for these disasters? I don't think I was prepared for the length of the disaster or for the continuing day after day of more people coming. I think that was the biggest difference. Usually when we had disaster training, it was only for a few hours and it was over, but the number of people coming to the hospital and the length of time they were going to be with us went on for days and weeks, so that was much different. Do you remember any specific patients? Are there any stories that sort of stand out in your mind, situations that you saw? You know, one of our spinal cord patients we worked with, we also had a gentleman who was bleeding, and one night we were at the hospital, and we realized he had been going into shock, so we were able to get him the medical care he needed. 
several children had fractures or had crushed injuries, and we were spending time splinting them until they could get casted or until surgery could be done on them. Denise, how quickly did things transition from that immediate disaster state where you're essentially screening people for their injuries and trying to see what level of care they need to a more traditional physical therapy rehabilitation of some of their injuries? I would say three to four weeks it took to really get through that initial phase, just get everybody stabilized. In a normal situation, you would have several days to make a plan and then begin to execute it. But there were so many plans that needed to be made, so many people needed to be stabilized, that it was delayed for close to a month until things began to return to normal. And then what were the typical injuries at that point related to the earthquake that needed that kind of physical therapy and rehabilitation typically? A lot of fractures, head injuries amputations, whether they happened during the earthquake or had been done in response to trying to remove somebody from debris, or they were amputations that were necessary to be done, say, six weeks out when there's been infection or no healing of the fracture. So amputees initially were a big part of that. When other physical therapists or other medical professionals started coming into Haiti to volunteer, what are your memories of that experience? Chuck, let's start with you. What was the demand for physical therapists? How quickly were volunteers coming over? Were there enough physical therapists to meet the demand and so on? The first people that came, of course, there needed to be surgeons that that came to help with the number of surgeries that needed to be done. And many of the people that came worked out very well. Unfortunately, you know, right after the earthquake, there were some people that came with good intention but were not able to work within the Haitian system. And it's so important that anyone that goes to a developing country really understands that they need to work within the system and they need to work with the people of that country. I think Denise may be able to speak more to the physical therapy part of it. Yeah, I agree with Chuck. What was needed immediately and what was missing were enough physicians, enough nurses, and enough pain medication. And those were the most important things initially to get those professionals and those medications in there. One of the things that I think that struck me was in talking to people after this who'd come in as physical therapists, those who had gone through a process of really being briefed before they came and were aware of what they would be walking into, those were the ones that were most effective. In that first year, as far as after the earthquake, almost immediately there were volunteers that were there to meet the the immediate needs to give direct rehab services. The two other types of physical therapists were arriving at the same time, and they were those that were there who were willing to stay at longer term, and then they continued, and this began after that first month, definitely. They began to work alongside of the in-country professionals and to assist them in developing their skills. So that was really important that there were physical therapists not only there to serve the immediate need, but they were there to take on an educational and mentoring capacity. And the other thing that physical therapists have been welcomed into participation as well as have been effective is in helping develop long-term plans for what rehab is going to look like in the country. So there have been professionals that have been there since the earthquake that are part of that ongoing development of care. Let's talk about that a little bit. You were in Haiti recently, is that correct? Correct. And how recently was that? December. So give me a picture of how things have evolved in in these last three years, not just in the country itself, but in the healthcare system in terms of delivery of either physical therapy itself and those developing programs. Well, prior to the earthquake, there were a number of initiatives that were already in place and developing. 
They were involved with providing orthotics and prosthetics. They were involved in providing physical therapy care. But most of those efforts were centered in the urban areas. They were centralized in the city. A lot of those, because of their location, were crushed in the earthquake itself and had to suspend their operations. What's happened over the last three years is the earthquake has had the effect of shining a light, basically, on the needs that were there before but were heightened by the earthquake. So what has happened is those institutions that were there before have been rebuilt. They've been reinforced and they've been able to get the funding that they needed that they were not able to get prior to the earthquake. So a number of those institutions were buoyed first by international presence of non-governmental organizations, NGOs, who work in development after disaster for rehabilitation. What's happening now, and it's an interesting phase, is that first there was the recovery, the immediate recovery, and then there was the transition, and now we're into development of services. So we've moved past that initial stage after the earthquake. The organizations that are working there are now in the process of transitioning the responsibilities to the local caregivers, the local professionals, the Haitian nationals. So that's a very exciting period right now. There are a number of young Haitian physical therapists who prior to the earthquake had no hopes of employment in the country and were not coming back, who are now coming back. They're being offered opportunities for employment. They're being placed in leadership positions at the national level, and they are now being able to take on the role of moving things forward. It's a very, very exciting time there. It's definitely exciting, and maybe it's too soon to say, but is the system better than it was before, or is it still developing? Is it still trying to catch up to where it was? It seems it has a better roadmap, at least, but is it better yet? Yes, I believe it's better, and I believe it needs to improve. So, yes, it is better. It is better in that there is now an awareness. There are services being offered. There are centers being built that can receive patients. The healthcare system in general, I think, is better organized. So, yes, I do think it's better. Chuck, can you discuss a little bit about the challenge in a country like Haiti of getting physical therapy sometimes to those rural areas? Do you have experience with that? Well, the Haitian healthcare system is never going to be exactly like our healthcare system. In order for therapy to be very effective, it's going to have to go out to the community and it's going to have to be community-based. If people think that a successful Haitian outpatient clinic is going to be a patient every 15 minutes when people do not have transportation and cannot make an appointment um, like we expect them here, you know, that is never going to happen. So for therapy services to be effective, it really needs to go out to the community and to see them in the very rural areas. Denise, do you have any thoughts on that? Yes, I think oftentimes we think it's just the rural areas that have difficulty with access, but I think the same problems exist in the urban centers. As Chuck well knows, those urban centers are extremely congested. Transportation is difficult to access. It's crowded. So the Haitian government, in fact, has prioritized decentralizing care. So a very acute care, very immediate care is going to be prioritized in the hospital. However, what they're saying is that they recognize the need that the care needs to move out into the communities, be that in the city or rurally. 
and by the very nature of being disabled, whether it's temporary with a fracture or something long-term, you're going to constantly be facing barriers to transportation, barriers to getting access to the care. So the care really does need to come to you. And Chuck is correct. That is the focus is going towards the communities. And when you guys talk about going into the community, is that making home visits? Is that setting up a day clinic in a smaller town? What does that necessarily mean? I think all of those things. Where Chuck and I work, it's very rural. You cannot get to houses for some patients unless it's by foot, and it would take possibly an hour and a half to walk into that site. So those patients are going to have to be accessed in their homes. Not only is it difficult to get to them, but likely that disabled person is the one who is home by themselves because anyone else in that home has to be out working, has to be farming, has to do something. So they do not have the privilege or the leisure of someone taking a day off to take them somewhere to get care. So we need to go there. There are other areas where the ideal model would be placing a clinic in a church or a school somewhere where people naturally gather and then take the services there. So go into a little different model than a health clinic, but going to somewhere that's central in a community and add those services or make make them available. So there are going to be a lot of different scenarios that develop. Other than those examples, which are terrific, where else does healthcare need to go in Haiti? One of the things that needs to develop is a national health care plan for people. Currently, it's only people that have money that can access health care. It's very, very difficult for the poor to do that. And the majority of people there, and especially those that need it, are at poverty level or below. So there needs to be some sort of provision nationally to get care to these people. Chuck, I know you haven't been to Haiti as recently, but obviously this is an issue you're passionate about. Mm-hmm. For anybody that's listening, what's the best way to really support the ongoing recovery in Haiti, either the, the country itself or the healthcare system? What can people do? The first thing is don't forget about Haiti. I encourage everyone to keep informed on what's going on and to talk about Haiti with their neighbors, their family, their churches. And the second thing is if people want to support Haitians, they should really look for ways that are very sustainable and ways that sustain Haitian-run organizations. I think those are the most effective, and I think if there's sustainability, those will do the best to keep their donations or their efforts going forward. Denise, thoughts? Yes, actually, Chuck is involved in a really important initiative, going back a little bit to talking about what has to happen with healthcare. I think the focus has to go off of international relief going in in terms of professionals, and the focus needs to be on training Haitian professionals, strengthening that human resource base in Haiti. So what Chuck is involved in is raising funds and supplying tuition and expenses for Haitian students that have been identified to attend physical therapy training at the universities in the Dominican Republic. Currently, there are no universities in Haiti that train physical therapists, so they have to look outside of the country for training. And the very realistic option is for them to go on the other side of the island to the Dominican Republic, receive that training, and then come back. And I would say efforts in support, if you can find ways to support education, that would be really, really key. Chuck, do you want to tell me a little bit more about that program? It's called Sustainable Therapy, and we raise funds, and we have currently have one student. One of the people that we trained is a rehabilitation technician who is now attending physical therapy school, and we're looking at having our second person start very soon. And so the program going well? 
Yes, it's a new program, but we're very excited about it, and we feel it would be a very great sustainable effort to educate more Haitian physical therapists. I imagine that going through that experience, being there when the earthquake happened, seeing this, seeing the, the immediate trauma, and then watching things unfold after that, how did this whole experience change you personally? One of the things, I think one of the most dramatic things was it brought home to me that as a physical therapist, despite all the technology, despite all of the fancy things that we have in this country, when it comes down to it, the most important things that we have are our eyes to see what needs to be done, our ears to listen, to hear, and our hands to work with patients, to assist them, to assist others. And it also taught me the power of just connecting one-to-one to one other human being and that changes that are going to be the big changes in the world are going to be done one little change at a time, one little step at a time. And during a lot of these days, I have a little language, I have a little Haitian Creole, no French, but most of the communication that was done early on, most of the reassurance, most of the connecting one-to-one, human-to-human was done through eyes and touch. And so those days immediately after the disaster, when people were lying obviously in great distress, who were looking to you for something, anything, what I found I could do most effectively was look them in the eye, touch them, and make sure that I made that connection every day with them. So I came out of there realizing the power of small things and the power of communication. That's really powerful. Chuck, how were you affected? It really reinforced with me how caring people can be and how Mm -hmm. people can really help take care of each other. I mean, I saw people share half of a plate of rice and beans with a total stranger Mm -hmm. or people bringing in clothes to family members and to patients when they probably didn't have many more clothes than what they were wearing on their back. And one night, Denise was going over to the hospital, and there was a woman with a very small child, and the child was laying on a stone bench. And Denise came back, and I think we made a makeshift pillow out of a towel because we didn't have any more pillows to give away. And we took the pillow over to the child, and the next morning, there was another child laying with his head on the pillow. So that child even shared our pillow with another child, you know. So the caring of the Haitians for each other and how people could really rise up and take care of each other was really significant for me. And they worked tirelessly. You know, early on, the hospital began quickly to fill up with garbage and, you know, just debris from the bandages and things that were involved in bringing the people in. And slowly, we began to see people come in, and the local churches were sweeping out the hospital. People were staying into the middle of the night just to see what they could do. So Chuck is right. That spirit of community was really humbling and beautiful. Denise English, Chuck Goulis, thank you very much for sharing your story. It's powerful and keeping Haiti in the conversation. I appreciate everything you're doing. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Move Forward Radio. Insight from our guests is for informational purposes only and should not be used as a substitute for individual treatment by a medical professional. Learn more about how a physical therapist can help you and find a physical therapist in your area at moveforwardpt.com. For an archive of past episodes, visit moveforwardpt.com slash radio.